0: I want to tell you I've enjoyed the day very much. Enjoyed the good singing that was going on. Enjoyed the whole week and hope you have too. We've come down to the last of this gospel meeting. And I want to leave you with some things that I like to, to do at the end of a, of a meeting. You know, when you get down to Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul called from Miletus for the elders of Ephesus and he started telling them things. He just started warning them about things and giving them some final admonitions. Paul was not going to see them again. And he cared a great deal about him. When you got down to 1 Thessalonians 5, if you'll read the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, it's like Paul all of a sudden had a bunch of things he wanted to tell them. And he just started throwing it at them. And, and it just kind of it came to his mind. And I, I've always called those the loose ends that he wanted to tie up. And so rather than just having what I normally do when we preach. I want to leave you with some thoughts that I have out of Philippians chapter 4. Where Paul was talking to the Philippian brethren. And down later on in the chapter about verse number 8 or so I believe it is. He uses the term finally brethren. And he draws it to a close. That's where we're at. Finally brethren. So I want to leave you with some thoughts. And I want you to leave you with some things to think about. In verse one, he says, "'Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, "'and long for my joy and crown, "'so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved.'" Do you ever wonder why he would end a lot of his letters like that? He wrote to the Corinthians, he said, "'Be ye steadfast, unmovable, "'always abounding in the work of the Lord, "'for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.'" First Corinthians 15. And I thought, well, maybe this was like yours truly, that he would just end a sermon Or he would end a book with, yours truly, Paul, or something like that. After I got into the work for a while, and I've done this a number of years now, it just seemed like it went by. I know why Paul wrote what he did. I do not know how many years it will be before I come back here. But I know some of you won't be here. I promise you that. And it's sad. Now some... Because of our age, we're going to go on and be with the Lord. And that's the goal. And that's a good thing. But there's going to be some. I'm going to come back and I'm going to say, where's brother so-and-so? Where's sister so-and-so? They don't come anymore. They quit. That's why Paul told them to stand fast. Craig is going to come and hold a meeting in Gunner in the month of April. And he's going to ask me. It's been a while since Craig's been there. And he's going to ask me about people that we have known together over the years. And some of them I'm going to have to tell him, I'll tell you where they live, but they don't come anymore. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be one of those that we come back and go, where are they at? You know, we we form relationships. We, We eat in your houses. We stay in your homes. We play with the kids. And then you fall away. And take those little ones with you. Stand fast. Don't let anything rob you of the greatest thing that you have. And that is your hope of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, we are of men most miserable. You know, there have been a number. And when Craig comes to Gunner, or I come back here. There's a number of brethren that we have known that were older that we worked with and we labored with, and they've gone on to be with the Lord. You know, the great hope that we have is one day we're going to be together again. We just lost Brother Merle. I'd regret that some of these young ones didn't know Sam Potter. But you know, I hope to see them again. But it's not going to happen if we don't stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast, dearly beloved. Stay in there. Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. When the apostle wrote, when the Lord told the apostle in Revelation 2 and 10, Be thou faithful unto death. You know, that's the last line of that. He actually said, Behold, Satan will cast some of you into prison. You shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. Well, surely we can endure two, ten days. Well, the truth is what he was saying is be faithful that short period of time that you are on the earth. And I'll give you a crown of life that will last forever. Now, let me tell you something, people. Time goes by in a hurry. It goes by fast. There are some of you holding babies here that I remember when you were in car carriers. And there are some of you that are talking about the children and the difficulties in raising children. And I remember when your moms and dads were talking about that. There are some of you that are here that are grandparents. And we were the young people that the older ones were trying to do things for and get our attention back in the day. It goes by in a hurry. Be faithful that short period of time. And I'll give you a crown of life. I beseech you and beseech sensei that they be of the same mind in the Lord. If I asked you what is the greatest asset the congregation has, what would you tell me? There's a lot of things you might think was a great asset to you. Nothing will be more valuable to this congregation than your unity. When one hurts, they all hurt. When one is happy, they're all happy. When one falls down, the others pick them up. Now, my mom was not a member of the church, and she never claimed to be. She'd come a time or two. She's heard me preach a couple of times. But she was never a member of the church. My dad died in the early 80s. And we had the funeral and all that, and members of the church were, like they always are, magnificent. And I heard my mom tell one of her friends... There's three places you want to be if you really want to have family. Now, the first two folks take with a grain of salt. This is my mama. The first is she thought being Jewish would be good because they all stick together. <laughs> the second is the Texas A&M Aggies. And I know some of you are going to have problems with that, but that's what she thought. She worked for a group of guys and they were all Aggies. And if somebody come in with a ring, they got a job. But the third one is the one that was important. She said, the third group you wanna be around, you wanna be a member of the church where Marlon goes because when one of them's in trouble, the rest of them come running. And This is what an outsider saw about us. You know, that made me feel good because that's the way it's always been and I've noticed that wherever it is, when one's in trouble, the rest of them come running. Now, back in the Old West, if you watch the Westerns, when somebody was in trouble, they boiled water. We cook. <laughs> because we care. Stay together. Don't let anything separate you. Stay together. You know, the most important thing I think a parent ever does is, and, and we had, we had to deal with this, and you do too, that are parents. One of the boys or the kids would come, and they'd ask me something. I'd say No they go in the other room and ask their mama. (laughs) You know, we knew that if they ever divided us, we were in real trouble. You talk about divide and conquer. The kids can learn that in a hurry. Division is something we can't stand. I'm going to tell you something. I know that the government is doing some goofy junk out there. And I know they're passing laws that go against everything that the Bible stands for and that we believe in. But that's not going to beat us. They've done that for years in other cultures. You think Rome was really all that churchy friendly? And I know that one of these days, there may be more persecutions and the church may have to labor under restrictions from government. But that's not going to beat you. You know, there's all kinds of preachers out there preaching all kinds of stuff. Health, wealth, and all this stuff. But that's not going to hurt you. The only war we cannot win, you listen to me, the only war you cannot win is a civil war. Is when we turn on each other. Stay together. Now, Paul was talking to a congregation, and he said that I may present you to the Lord as a chaste virgin without spot. Every elder has a dream and a goal. And that is when we stand before the master, we can say, Lord, here's your congregation. They're all there. And we even picked up a few along the way. <laughs> Stay together. I entreat thee also, a true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Those women that labored with him in the gospel, you mean women labored in the gospel? Ladies, there's three hours a week if you meet three times a week. There's three hours a week that God has put a restriction about your speaking. But the rest of the time, he hasn't put that on you. Three hours a week, he wanted the men to do the speaking. The rest of the time, women labored in the gospel. Now, folks, we are crazy if we put 50% of our workforce on the bench and tell them to not speak. I've had older brethren from generations past that explained this verse to me. You see, they probably knitted his socks or made his bed. Really? No, they labored with him in the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what they were about. You know the first person he met at Philippi? Was a lady named Lydia, the seller of purple. You reckon she was an important part of his work? <laughs> he talks about them communicating once and again that is sending support to his work so he could do the work. You reckon the seller of purple had anything to do with that? He said, You sent to my need, so I could preach the gospel and you will have fruit that abounds to your account. At the end of this chapter, the seller of purple had fruit in faraway places she never went to. You know what? You guys support preachers to go all over the world. You may never get to go to those places. Some of you might. But you have fruit that abounds to your account. Ladies labor in the Lord. Labor in the gospel. I want to ask you a question. Is this meeting a success or not? you consider we had a successful meeting? Well, maybe. Let me ask you another question, another way. Is your name in the book of life? In the book of Revelation, at the end of the chapter, the apostle writes, for whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Now, you've gone to a lot of trouble this week. You've spent time doing this that you will never get back in your life. I hope you think it was wisely spent. You've listened to me talk for a week, and I hope something was said or done that touched you and makes it easier, makes it better. The brethren have gone to an expense. You've cooked meals. If your name's in the book of life, the meeting was a success. If it's not, you missed the point. Is your name in the book of life? Marlon, can we know we're saved? Bless your little heart. 1 John 5 13. I have brethren all the time say, You can't really know if you're saved or not. That sounds good. 1 John 5 and 13, though, says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Yeah, but Marlon, I, I got problems and I fall short and I don't always do everything that I'm supposed to do. Let me tell you something, people. It's easy for me to stand up here and tell you what to do. And it's a lot different story to go out and do it. Now, you listen God uses imperfect people to do his perfect will. You bet you've got problems. So do I. So do all of us. We fall short. You bet. You don't think the apostles did? Peter was withstood to the face, and that's after he received the Holy Ghost because he was to be blamed. The Lord uses imperfect people. You know, we think of these apostles as people we'd love to hang out with. I promise you about half of them are going to get on your nerves within about 30 minutes. They were just people. But God used imperfect people to do his perfect will. And he'll use you who are imperfect to do his perfect will. Is your name in the book of life? That's what the meeting's all about. Every time a man stands up here and preaches a sermon, whether it be in this meeting or it just be at your regular services, the Lord's calling. You see, Israel in in the book of 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, missed something. They wanted a king. And we always go to that part where it says that we may be like all the other nations and talk about the keep up with the Joneses religion. But that's not really the point. Oh, Samuel cried all night long because they wanted a king. Finally, the Lord appeared to Samuel and he said, dry your eyes. Why are you crying? And in verse 7, he says, hearken unto the people in all that they command, bid you. Give them a king. And then he said this, for they have not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me that I should not reign over them. They had a king. And it wasn't Samuel. You see, Bev hates this saying, but I like it, so I use it. I didn't write it. I just read it. (laughs) And so, you know, sometimes I take it personal when people don't obey the gospel. Why? They haven't rejected you, preacher. They've rejected the king of kings. Is your name in the book of life? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Why did Paul always write about the Lord being at hand? You know, there's a lot of different ideas about that. And even some churches have been formed over that particular concept. Let me tell you something. Paul believed the Lord was at hand. Now, it's been 2,000 years and the Lord had not come. It may be another 2,000. You know, the early writers went that were not biblically oriented... But they were just writing. Believed that the time of the earth would coincide with the days of creation, 7,000 years. If that's true, you got another thousand years to go. Why would Paul say the Lord's at hand 2,000 years ago? He lived his life like the Lord might come any minute. Now, let me ask you something be honest. If you really thought that Jesus was going to come tomorrow, At 6 o'clock in the evening, how would you spend your day? I'm probably not killing bugs. That's just me. What are you doing? You going to work? Are you that much of a company man? (laughs) They got to love you. What would you do with that time? My guess is if we really believed that it was going to be tomorrow, for sure, we might live a little different. And that's what Paul's saying. The Lord's at hand. He could be there any time. Live like it is today. Live like there is no tomorrow. Because one day there will be no tomorrow. Do what's important now. Be careful for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, I spend a lot of time griping about things. The house payment. The car payment. Insurance. You know, I spend a lot of time griping about those things, but it's sure nice to have a house to go home to, isn't it? It's sure nice to have a vehicle to run around in, isn't it? How often do I ever stop and just thank God for the things I have every day? How thankful are we for the things that he has given us, the spiritual things too. Ricky's dad came up to me one time and said, I got a problem with that prayer list. And I thought, oh great, you don't want to pray for sick folks. He goes, no, that's not it. But when somebody gets well, we just erase their name. Don't you think we ought to say thanks? And I thought, you know, he's absolutely right about that. How often when somebody gets taken off the prayer list, do we thank God for whatever has happened? You know, sometimes it's gimme, 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 and we don't do a whole lot of being thankful about it. When Jeremy, my oldest one, when he was one years old, for Christmas, I bought him a train. Now, boys, I don't mean a train. I mean a train. It took the living room to put the track up, and he got inside it and drove the train. He could pull a lever And smoke would come out. Beverly loved that one. And then you could pull a lever, and I was working nights, and the horn would blow. And I loved that one. (laughs) No gift is perfect, I guess. And so I, and, and Tex and I, his granddad, this was when I learned what some assembly required meant. We stayed up all Christmas Eve fixing it for him. He got up, he wouldn't even look at it. You know what he wanted? We'd gone to Dairy Queen and I gave him a quarter and he put it in this deal and he got this little thing in a bubble which he never opened. He just listened to it rattle. And I spent hundreds of dollars on this train and he wouldn't, if you try to put him on it, he'd cry but he'd play with that little quarter deal all day long. It kinda hurt my feelings, you know what I mean? And then I got to thinking, there's a life lesson in that, Marlon. Because how many times has God given you all this stuff and you never stop and say thanks. You don't appreciate it. You know, at some point when we're giving people things and they don't appreciate it, we get tired, don't we? Don't you call that being used? You reckon the Lord ever feels used by us? Take time to be thankful for the things that you have. We were. This is such an important concept that we wrote a song about it. Count your many blessings. See what the Lord hath done. Take time to be thankful. Make your prayers and requests known unto God, but be thankful about it. Then he says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I'm going to have a hard time explaining to you the peace of God that passes all understanding. <laughs> But I will tell you this, there's a reason that Christians could be in a prison about to die and sing. There's a reason that they were beaten and chained in a prison and at midnight they sang songs, praises to their God. You see, your relationship with your God's not tied to your financial world. Every bit of this could collapse and be gone and you can still sing. Because with the Lord, it's going to be okay. Your future's secure. Your family future is secure. God's going to take care of you. Now, we may not have all this stuff. But even at facing death, you can sing. Because of the peace of God that's in your heart. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that. And you need that. You want real peace of mind? Come to the Lord. Finally, brethren, and here we are. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, I'm not going to go down the list and talk about each one of those things that Paul told you to consider. But I am gonna say this. Why did Paul tell you to think on these things? You know, years ago, my dad would tell me, you know, when you take a girl out, a young lady out, that's somebody's daughter, you treat her with respect. Later on, I heard one of the preachers say, I always had my daughter take a Bible and put it between them. (laughs) Because to get to her, he's gotta go over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. (laughs) Hey, you know. Why, why would having a Bible sitting there change the way you behave? If you throw your Bible... You know, the, the old brother Hayes that I hear about all the time in Gunner, they say everywhere he went, he had that Bible with him. Threw it up on the dash. Why would that change your habits or your behavior? Because it makes you aware that the Lord is watching. And wherever I go, can I take that Bible with me? Interesting question, isn't it? Because you're thinking on these things. As a man thinketh, so is he. Now, I know the context of that, so don't get on me about it. But there's a flip side to that coin, too. You hang around with bad, evil people, you're going to be thinking like that. You hang around with good people, you hang around with God's people, you'll think like they think. And so Paul said, these good things you think about, concentrate on them, and they'll become part of you. In our little hometown when I was growing up, there were two older men that were pretty prominent in town. But they were very different. They were different as night and day. One of them, when you met him at the cafe or wherever, you didn't want to be around him. It just clouded up and rained when that man showed up. He didn't like his kids. They didn't treat him right. He didn't care for the wife. He, the company he worked for, they cheated him. The government doesn't want to pay, and he paid in on that deal. Everybody's out to get him. My guess is, if I'd ask him about the meal, it wasn't cooked right. I mean, just constantly, it was that way. And you know what? As a result, nobody liked to hang around him. None of the kids did. But there was another fella. He kind of had a bad, gimpy leg. Every time you met him, the world was great. He'd talk about family. He was involved in business in town. He'd talk about the things could happen and all that. And people just flocked to the man. One time, he had to have his pickup rigged with a hand throttle. And when he did... He'd cock that leg up over because it was sore all the time, and he'd use that hand throttle. Well, one time we had a little situation like we got out there today. He'd come around the corner of the blinking light in town. That's how you know you're in a little town. And he'd come around the corner, and he had his hand throttle and got on that ice. Right into the post office. And we figured, man. So everybody comes to run in and goes, Jim, what happened? He goes, checking the mail. <laughs> It didn't matter the situation. He could see the humor in it. And he was always positive. You know why? Because that's the way he thought. And it made others around him positive. And the guy that was negative, you know why he was? Because that's the way he thought. And everybody around him, if they were around him, would be sour too. Birds of a feather flock together. There's some truth in that, people. Think on these things and make them part of you. And as you do, you can come down. You can have the peace of God that passes understanding. Your name is in the book of life. And you'll get to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. That's what the foundation was all about. Paul faced a lot. Not all of it good. But he said, I can do all things Not me, not by myself, but through the Christ that strengthens me. Last invitation for this meeting is your name in the book of life. Make sure it is as we stand and sing.